message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to give a welcome to those of you who come in later and uh, just a reminder as well that all the, the sessions have been podcast and recorded so you're able to listen out to some of the sessions we had this morning. Haven't we had some amazing testimonies this morning? I mean, teaching has just been uh, wonderful really, you know, um, and uh, I'm just so excited really at uh, different revelations. I love what Ribu said about we have to let people make their journey, you know. I'll come back to that in a moment, but just to to pick up on something that um, uh, Michelle was saying about the milk and the, uh, and the meat. Um, our meat really is to do the will of the Father, but it was never the will of the Father that we do things apart from Him. So what the revelation of the Gospel is showing us is that to live the Christian life, you cannot live it apart from the Father. And so our beginning, our starting point in, in, in the life of a Christian is that it's Christ's life. Now, many of us have taken 20 years to get off the blocks. <laughs> You know, and you know, God says, I restore the years of locusts of Eden. Amen. I mean, you look, who was the greatest grace preacher in the New Testament apart from Jesus? <laughs> he had quite a record as a sort of law preacher, hadn't he? In fact, he said, I tell you, I guess you haven't met a law preacher until you met me. You know, talk about the law. He says, I was from the, from the word go, I was immersed in it. And where did it lead him? It led him to killing people, actually. See, the law kills. You know, and I, I grieve sometimes over, thinking down over the years of the amount of, I don't know what sort of church background you're from, but I, I doubt really if you haven't had an experience in church where there's been a split, or there's been division, or there's been accusation, or there's been hurt, or there's been offense. And uh, really, that's not the spirit of Christ. Uh, it's not Christ that does those things. Um, anyway, I've got to try and be disciplined here, be all over the place. Let me make a few statements, because we, the topic of this one is grace, faith, and revival. And um, the revelation that we are receiving of uh, who we are in Christ is, is too big to take in by yourself. The natural mind can't handle it. And that's why, as Michelle was saying, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Also, though, Christ is in his body. Um, we're teaching each other. This is a very important dynamic here. I'm realizing that uh, I, it's being brought out of me what God has placed into me by the body around me. You know, we had the privilege last Sunday of, of bringing... Uh, uh, Robert just into an office in the church. We're talking about the gifts of the, of, of the God places in his body and how the body itself brings out or draws out those giftings. In other words, we're meant to be together. You know, This one life of Christ um, is one life, but there are many different members in this one body. And together, uh, we learn so much from each other, which is why the enemy, of course, always trying to split us up and divide us because we each have so much to contribute. Don't you love it when your children are getting on isn't that not the best thing, you know? Praise God. I wonder how the Father feels about us at times. So, because we were made for God himself, he offers us nothing less than himself. Because we were made for God himself, he offers us and can offer us nothing less than himself. So, if you think of that for a moment, God is not satisfied with merely offering us forgiveness or even provision or blessing. And that's where many of us have been for years, really. You know, we'll take what we need, and we'll see you later. Later being heaven. And yet, if you think, actually, what the, Jesus said, pray that his kingdom will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you know. 
And uh, what the Holy Spirit really is, is doing is, is, is enabling the manifestation of this one new life here on the earth, that men and women would see the way you are together, the love you have one for another, and know then Jesus, and know that you are his disciples. So we can't really separate God from his blessings. He doesn't want to be. He, he, his idea, his, his always his purpose, his eternal purpose was to be one with us, to be united with us in Christ. And when we don't receive that, we spend our whole lives trying to get things for him or trying to work away to him. So this has been talked about again and again, this uh, beginning place of union with Christ. Now, the reason I say that, when you accept that principle that God does not want you to wander off and make a name for yourself like the prodigal son or work hard in the fields of religion for years and years like the elder brother, hoping to impress your father to get something from him. I never got anything from you. When we accept that, then we have to see that God does not give things and remain apart from the giving. The Bible says, John chapter 1, Moses gave the law. But then it says grace and truth came. You see, God doesn't give grace apart from himself. This is historically through the history of the church a very important dividing line because very much if you think you can parcel up grace and give it as a package, uh, then really what you're saying to people is, yeah, here you go, you can live apart from him. Just take this, you know. So Jesus refuses uh, to simply send us on our way. He says, no, I'm the way. I'm the way. It's with me. Remember the uh, rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, now just, just tell me what I need to do. Very often we're talking about when people first come into grace, uh, they'll say, this all sounds good. Now tell me what I need to do. That's the way we're trained, you know. So, so what do I have to do? It's a journey to see that I no longer lives. I went to the cross. There is no I. It took me 20 years to get to that starting place. But you know, when you get there, it's great. Because I don't have to live with I anymore. He's hard to live with, you know. He's accusing and always pointing out, you know. Uh, Christ is much easier to live with. And so that starting place, really, then, of union with Christ, that's the revelation. And it takes time. Okay, so I love that scripture Mike shared this morning about sometimes when you've tasted the old wine and you're used to the old wine, it takes a while for your taste buds to change. I think in the natural, when I was a little boy, I went off sugar for Lent. It was hell for 30 days. (laughs) But now the thought of sugar in my tea, Uh, doctors will tell you it takes about 30 days even for your natural taste buds to change, you know. So we need not just to teach grace, we need to give grace to people. Everybody deserves their journey, you know. That's quite a challenge if you're ministering grace in a church setting where quite a substantial number of the people in the church think you're preaching heresy. <coughs> Yet you have to allow them to make their journey, and you have to keep giving grace. Jesus had uh, people like that in all of his meetings, including the very tight ones where the man had to come through the roof, you know, because it says the Pharisees were right there saying, you can't say that, that his sins are forgiven. What were they doing right there? He let them in, you know. He, he never threw them out of his meetings. I mean, he confronted them at times when they started to give off to people, you know. He'd confront them, but he loved them. These are the people that crucified him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Exciting thing, so many exciting things about the revelation of grace for me. One is that the harvest field is, is such an easy thing now to witness to people. How easy is it to tell people that you're loved? But tell them with an authority. You see, you can't tell them with an authority unless you have received that. Michelle talked about the difference between knowing something in your head and actually believing it. 
It's not the truth that sets you free. It's the truth you have believed. And in believing, that takes time to be rooted and established in something. There's a time the Bible calls about being established. We're on a journey in being established in our identity, praise God. That takes time. I remember when I was a vet, uh, I used to drive into many farms, and the first person that always greeted me was the dog, sheepdog. They'd run up, you know, and I'd be getting drugs out of the boot of the car. I'd always turn around to pet the dog, and sub-dogs went like this. As soon as you reached down to pet them, they went like that because they were used to being beaten. And we've seen many Christians come into the church, and you preach the grace messages, and they go like that, you know, because they're not used to that. They're not used to that. They're saying, yeah, but come on now. It's too good to be true. Tell me what I need to do. See, again, that man who's doing, he has to die, and he did die on the cross. So we have to, as ministers then, and everybody here is a minister of the gospel, we have to address believers as who they now are in Christ. So I could stand up here and give you good <coughs> advice about what you need to do to please God more, but I'd be doing you a disservice because I'm talking to a man who died. I'm talking to the old, apart from Christ, man whom God is not very pleased with, but who would be more pleased with if he got himself sorted out. And for a lot of places, really, that's what we're doing in ministry. We're ministering to the old man. And what that amounts to, really, is cutting the hedge. Sin management. That's all of it. Sin management. But the Bible says, Jesus says, I'm going to take an axe to the root of the tree, not to the branches. You know, you can cut the hedge every week. It's still going to grow back. And I think... For me, really, I, I, my heart really is for the elder brother because that's who I am and who I was, really, you know. And I see Paul, you know, when he came into a revelation of grace, his heart broke for his brothers, the religious Jews. Those who would not submit to this message because they were still trying to establish their own righteousness. Romans 10, you cannot submit to the righteousness of God if you're still trying to establish your own righteousness. So you see... I'm doing people a disservice if I'm giving them advice how to establish their own righteousness. You know, I can give you 10 points on how you can lead a holier life for Christ. I'm doing you a disservice because I'm asking that old man to rise up again and pretend that he is not who God says he is, that he's not seated in the heavenly realm with Christ, that in his spirit, in fact, that he is now complete in Christ. And so we end up being totally mixed up, and the church is extremely mixed up. You know, and a little leaven leavens the whole batch. For instance, okay, in 20 minutes, I can preach for 19 minutes on the grace of God and the goodness of the Father. And I can spend the last minute now giving you advice. Now, what are you going to do? Given all the things I've said about God, what are you going to do? And I've just undone everything I've done. Because I've just taken the hope that I had placed on Christ and now placed it on you. So what are you going to do? You know? And for years, we sat under such messages and thought they were great messages, you know. I mean, the more beat up you felt coming out of church, that was a great message. Praise God. I feel really chastised, really beaten up, you know. <laughs> and you had enough willpower maybe to make it till Wednesday, feeling really holy, you know. But by Sunday, you were back to the same again. You must have been because they're preaching the same message. And they're asking the Holy Spirit to come again. So something must have happened between last Sunday and this Sunday. I haven't even started yet. <laughs> Mike talked this morning about that horrible word, balance, you know. Everywhere when you look in the Old Testament, it's beautiful how we can see Christ and see grace now in the Old Testament. We don't throw out the Old Testament. When Jesus had to talk to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he went to the Old Testament and he showed them himself. 
So to understand any scripture in the Old Testament that seems to portray a God who's uh, not like Jesus, uh, you have to begin with Jesus. I remember once coming home and finding the Father reading the old Bible we had in the house as children. And if you're coming from the same background, you know there's a massive, great white Bible. And in the beginning of it, it's all our names and the dates we were baptized and that, you know. And, and my father, you know, he was reading his Bible. And one day he looked up at me and he said, as I came through the door, he said, Phelan, are there two gods? Is there one of the Old Testament and one of the New Testament? What a great question. Because a, a reading of that, you would think so. And so... Jesus came, and John said this, the Apostle John says, you know what, before Jesus came, no man had ever seen God at any time. But he who has come from the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. And that's why the religious establishment crucified Jesus, because he looked nothing like the God that had been trained under the law to expect God to be. It wasn't the prostitutes or the thieves that killed Jesus. It was the church. Praise God. Because, you see, law and grace can't live in the same house. Remember in, in Galatians 4 when Paul spoke about Sarah and Hagar as two mothers representing two different covenants. And Hagar, uh, the slave woman, she represented the law, he said, and Sarah represented the spirit. And the child of the law persecuted the child of the spirit. And there came a moment when the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, you need to get rid of the slave woman. They cannot live in the same house. You can't mix those two, you know. And, of course, it grieved him. It broke his heart. He wept much over sending Ishmael away because that was his flesh. And those of us who have been in the church for years, we struggle with grace because we love our history. It's become our identity. I've been in this church for 20 years. You know, five years ago when we had a revelation of grace, I was busy telling the Lord how much I'd done for him and how much I'd sacrificed and all the work we'd done, you know. And then he showed me that I was the elder brother standing in the field, listing out all the things I had done and all God hadn't done for me. So that revelation really uh, is so important, praise God, of our new identity in Christ. And it takes time to establish that. And so we need to give people time to make that journey and to be established. And uh, you know well that beautiful story. Um, I was saying actually about how in the Old Testament we see grace and we see Jesus and Recently, we were looking at one such scripture in 1 Samuel 18, where it spoke about the incident where Jonathan listened to David speak about the God he knew. And something in Jonathan's heart knitted with David's heart, it says. As David talked to Jonathan's father, Saul, about his victory over Goliath, Jonathan began to get a revelation of covenant. Remember, that was the revelation the army didn't have in front of Goliath. That's why nobody could stand in front of Goliath because only one little shepherd boy had the grace message, you could say. He had a revelation that God was with us. Like Joshua and Caleb, but God is with us. So he had that revelation. And remember his accusation to Goliath is, you're an uncircumcised Philistine. You see, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. He says, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to cut your head off even though you're three times my size because I have covenant and you don't understand covenant. You see? And as long as the church doesn't understand the covenant of grace, we've got a big devil. And we're all hiding in our churches from a big devil. And it's a big bad world out there, you know. But only if we get ourselves cleaned up a wee bit more, maybe God might show up again and do something about it. Uh, did you get the memo? He showed up. The angels couldn't believe it. He showed up. He showed up in flesh. Beautiful, isn't it? And he made his home in flesh. And he made a new Adam, praise God. 
So in that lovely scripture in 1 Samuel 18, it says, Jonathan, on hearing what David said, he gave him everything he had. He gave him his bow. He gave him his belt. You know, he gave him his sword. He gave him his heart. And that's what covenant love does. Covenant love gives everything right at the beginning. So that your performance and my performance cannot restrict God from doing what he wants to do. He's done what he wanted to do. He wanted to give us everything, and he gave us everything. Now live with it. Live with it. Because to live with that, you've got to be a new person. So he's treating you now as his child, and you can be his child, you can be reconciled to God, or you can try and make a life on your own, as the first Adam did. So you can live from the first Adam of, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to be a holy person, I'm going to be a minister, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that for God. Or that man can die and you can say, I am hidden with Christ in God. When he died, I died. When he ascended, I ascended. When he sat down, I sat down. And God, who is finished from his works, desires a people who are finished from their works. This is the most powerful episode in the history of the church I believe we're living through right now. When the church has sat down and has refused to debate the issue with Satan, has refused to believe anymore that maybe there's something stuck for grabs, no, it's all over. The final whistle was blown. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that was God's opinion now, praise God, on mankind and what he has done for mankind. Now we say to people, God has reconciled himself to you. So we implore you, be reconciled to God. So the father always loved the two sons, but they had to come home. The last scene of that story is the father in the field entreating the older brother to come home. I wonder at the end of time, will in fact the church be the last people to come into the revelation of grace? After all, did Jesus not say to the Pharisees, prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you? Quite astonishing, isn't it? Quite astonishing. And so what we're attached to really is the old self. We're, we're attached to, we've been trained so well that you are what you do, that what we have done and what we are doing becomes who we are. Because that is the spirit of the world. The spirit of performance. So how are you doing? What sort of house do you live in? What sort of car do you drive? What's your job? What church do you go to? You are what you do. Now a child of God is a revelation of who you are in Christ. You are free. And it is for such freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, people sometimes bring the accusation, ah, no, 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 be careful of all that freedom, you know. You you need to be careful of giving people all that freedom. You never know what they do. That's true, actually. They usually probably don't know what they'll do. A lot of people are scared of such freedom. They think, you don't know me, you know. That's because maybe in the church for years, they got used to being a hypocrite. <laughs> and think, well, you know, if anybody knew what I really got up to, I probably couldn't be in this church, you know. The Lord says, you know what, I've given you the power in you that rose Christ from the dead. Why don't you let the Holy Spirit be your life? Why don't you find out what could happen if I set you free? And you let, hold, get, let, let go of the hand of the school teacher of the law, And allow your life to be established now in Christ. Allow him to be your life. Allow him to be the root and you're the branch. Rather than you be the root and branch. And so as we do that, our lives are transformed. Remember the story of uh, Martha and Mary. You know, and and that's where we've been for years really, you know. We we really got to get the house cleaned up because Jesus is coming soon. And then Jesus arrived. And we're still cleaning the house. He arrived 2,000 years ago, and we're still cleaning the house. 
and we still haven't sat down. And we think we're doing a good job. But you know what? We're missing what he's saying. And we're getting burnt out. And we're getting angry. And at some point, we're going to point the finger at somebody else. And that's what happened in Martha's life, you know. And that's what the law does. You get so fixated in your performance, you'll end up with a church of people pointing the finger one at another. That's the body. Welcome to the body of Christ. With 10,000 different denominations. So Martha says, Lord, you tell her. Tell her. Tell her to get up and help me. Look at me. The Lord says, no, I won't. Mary has chosen the better part. She has sat down. Now, I have no doubt that Mary got up and helped later on. But wow, when she helped, she just, she, she delighted to do the dishes. <laughs> you know, she just, she was the most pleasant person to be around, you know. But there's an awful big difference between doing the dishes with Mary and doing the dishes with Martha, you know. And I've been fed up doing the dishes with Martha for years, you know. Because <laughs> all Martha talks about is what we haven't done and this hasn't happened and you need to do this and da 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 you know? Martha talks about people. Jesus talks about, or Mary talks about Jesus. Isn't that right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I still don't know where I am. <laughs> so the revelation Jesus brings us is that our loving Father is so good, he doesn't need to be cajoled into being a good father. If I just said that and nothing else and asked you to think about that for the rest of your life, you know, are you trying to cajole God into being better to you? Then you don't have a revelation of what he's done. Because he couldn't be better. He couldn't, if he never did another thing, if he never answered another prayer for you the rest of your life, you know, he has done more for you than you'll ever need. That's amazing, isn't it? And he wants to set us free, really, from self-consciousness and that sense of lack all the time, the sense of I don't have this and I don't have that. That was the original lie that was put in, the poison that was put into man when the devil said to Adam, well, you know, he's withheld from you. He has. God's withheld from you. But there's something you can do to get off of him what he has withheld from you. That's religion. Here's the gospel. In giving you his son, if he delivered up his only son, how shall he not with him freely give all things? What more is there than Christ? Some people talk about going to heaven and thinking, but I just hope God isn't there when I get there. <laughs> Their idea of heaven really is not church, is not, certainly not the sort of God they've heard of, you know, really. But what is heaven if God's not there? Jesus said, you know, this is eternal life, that you would know him. Because he's bigger than heaven. He's everything. His character is everything. And he has made his home with us. Even the angels stand with their mouths open. They, they, they can't take this in, you know. And the church is standing with their mouth open as well. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. But the church teaches us that all the promises of God are yes and but. Yes and but. Now, as soon as you come onto that message, the old man starts to work again. The old man starts to work again. But you will not live in the freedom and the liberty and the joy and the uniqueness that God wants you to live in. Because when you know that he's pleased with you and he's not ashamed to have his car parked outside your house, you're free to be Connor. You're free to be Gene. And you're free to be Robert. And you're free to be yourself in Christ. Different, unique, but a vital part of the body. And something that's just such a blessing to people around you. Because your relationships with other people now is a blessing because they're not self-centered. It's not all about me. 
So in church, it's hard work sometimes because as young people grow up, young Christians grow up, to begin with, for much of our life, it's about me. What's this church ever done for me? What's he ever done for me? What can I get out of that? If I go there, what can I get? You see, all the time, we're ministering out of a sense of lack. You know, perhaps there's someone in your family and you hate to see them arriving at a family event because you know what they're going to do? They're going to talk about themselves for two hours. And you're all going to sit there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank God. Help us. And it ruins the whole dynamic, you know? And so God's way of putting the body together perfectly is to kill the old man. Not to educate him, to kill him. Praise God. You died. We have funeral services here. That's the baptismal tank. We have funeral services there. We bury the old man. The trouble is the church resurrects them again, you know. We have a church of zombies, walking zombies. Old men. They're actually new men, but they're wrapped up. They're so wrapped up in themselves that they, that they look like dead men. And the world looks at us and goes, God, you guys are so dead. You've got no sense of humor. You've got no joy. You've got no life. You've got no joie de vie. You're miserable. Why would I want to come there? We're supposed to be the most joyful people on the face of the earth. We're free. So you're free to get drunk. Hey, I'm free that I don't need that. That's freedom. Praise God. Sometimes, and I'll finish with this because I know one of the, one of, there's a lot of fear. I find there's so much fear in the body of Christ. Very often when you're on Facebook, the stuff people share about the world, you know, it's like an apocalyptic, I can't say that, world vision that everything's going worse and worse and worse and that there's no hope and batting down the hatches and hopefully he'll be back soon. You know, this is the victorious church. The one that the early people said, God, these are the people who have turned the world upside down, you know. There's so much fear there that very often, and one of the great fears is the fear of deception. People are frightened of deception. People hand me books about end-time deception and watch out for the grace message or the hyper-grace message. There's no such thing as hyper-grace. There's no such thing as hyper-water. Water is water. You see, grace, our definition of grace really is the divine influence of God. It's Christ himself. The grace message is Christ. And Christ will not cause you to sin because he is a new root. Sinning is the branches of an old tree that went to the cross. But if your mind is still rooted in that, then the manifestation of that in your life will be as a man thinks, so he is. So this process we're involved in is a beautiful process called the renewing of your mind so that the new man would be seen on the earth and the whole of creation is groaning, is groaning for the new man to come forth, for the church to grow up out of being children running around, only behaving themselves under the threat of punishment, and actually grow up into adulthood. Or in fact, we are who we want to be, praise God, because our hearts have been changed. And now we're doing what we want to do, not what we should do, what we ought to do, because we're Christians. Praise the Lord. I think I'll stop there. I don't know what I've said, but hopefully something's been useful. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) 